This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible. Righto, kick it in the guts, Trev. You're tuned to Radio Hawke's Bay and this is a show called Made in New Zealand where we interview authors when I'm in charge. <laughs> so, and today we have Harry Averill who is the author of Hungry to be Happy, a memoir, How I Lost and Found My Mind. So welcome Harry, thank you for coming to be on the show today. Thank you, thanks for having me. Um, and first of all, rather than me go on about who you are and what the book's about, just tell us who's Harry Averill. Yeah, so I'm 23. I'm born and bred in Hawke's Bay and spent a bit of time in Gisborne as a kid as well. Um, and yeah, I've I've just written a book pretty much uh, detailing my experience with anorexia um, and how I got it and how I got over it, essentially, and what it's all taught me about life and how we still live it. And it just occurred to me, I've just scribbled a note there, when you launch it straight in and say... I've written a book about anorexia. What what reactions do you get to that? Personally, or yeah, if like you just yeah, it's um yeah, it, t- it does take a bit to get used to because only recently have I really admitted that I had anorexia. Yeah. Um. So many years, um, I didn't tell anyone about it really outside of my family and close friends. So um, it is quite a scary step to uh to write a book and to admit. I guess, to the world that I did have it and to associate myself with the illness. Mm. Um, but then again, it's it's the best way to raise awareness about it. So it's not something that I um, am ashamed of anymore. It's something that I'm proud to have got through. Mm. And, wh- and what reactions do you get from the world? Yeah, it's been really positive. Um, and initially, I didn't know how the world would react just because it's such a touchy topic um, and it's stereotypically associated with girls Mm -hmm. and women. Um, So I didn't really know how people would react, but it's been really positive and supportive so far. Um, And if it, even if it hadn't been, it's, um, it's, it's about raising awareness. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, someone's got to, someone's got to tell their story to, to break that stigma, I suppose. And um, yeah, I was, more than happy to to do it straight away in in the first chapter i think you describe yourself as one of the lucky ones and mm. that really struck me straight away i mean especially now i've read the book and i know that you've literally been to hell and back um why were you one of the lucky ones yeah well i was a lucky one all the way through my childhood had an amazing family um really easygoing upbringing was always really happy and healthy and the only unlucky period of my 23 years was really when I was 13, 14, 15. Mm. Aside from that, I've been very, very lucky um, and so grateful for that. But um, as as well as being lucky throughout that period, I'm lucky to have made it through the illness mm. um, because I'm sure of all the people who have had anorexia, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones to have uh, recovered like I have. Um, and that's not to say that other people can't and that they need to be lucky to recover. It's just that um, I had such an amazing family and support network. Mm. So for me, it was a lot easier than it would have been for others um, yeah. because I was so lucky to be endowed with that network. But no, I consider myself lucky in all sorts of ways um, to have gone through what I did at such a young age 
as horrible as it was at the time, I learned some pretty awesome lessons um, really early on that have kind of shaped my perspective on life now. And to learn that so young has, I suppose, been an advantage rather than um, rather than a disadvantage. Yeah. Mm. You certainly get the um, sense from your writing, you know, loving, supportive family, mm. rough and tumble, three three lads, mm. you know, done. And you describe yourself as such a happy kid, and then there is this mind shift. You start high school. Oh, I'm a grown up now. I've got to make sacrifices. I've got to work hard. So what? What precipitated that mind shift? I mean, you were 12, 13. Yeah. Still a little boy to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And looking back, I look at 12-year-olds now and I think, how was I yeah. that, um, that, how did I have that mindset at such a young age? But yeah. I'm not sure. I've, I've tried really hard writing the book to pinpoint it, but I just think the fact of the matter is there were so many different factors involved um, and I don't really know why I had that mindset shift. I just for some reason, thought that once I started high school, um, that was when I had to start taking things a bit more seriously. That was kind of when I had to start growing up and building for myself this future, which I thought had to be successful. I thought I had to be successful um, in order to be happy, Mm. which obviously I've come to learn the hard way is is the completely wrong approach. Yeah, and it'd be nice to talk about that, like how how to be happy. Mm. So... Do you find it easy to talk about now? It's 10 years ago? Yeah, it's um, almost 10 years to the day since I started high school mm. um, and when it all kind of started unravelling. Um, but no, I, I think the mind's pretty amazing at um, blocking off the negative, the really horrible things um, mm. we go through. So I, I'm kind of numb to the horrors of that time of my life I suppose um writing the book I did um delve into some memories that I probably won't revisit anytime soon yeah but no I I talk about it um like I talk about anything really it's um it's just such a key part of my life and Mm. it's been so long since I felt the way I did throughout the illness um so I yeah I'm more than happy talking about it Mm. and it's um it's not something that that bothers me at all yeah I mean having read the book it's it's beautifully written and I think you describe your journey so eloquently you know anyone that's had any kind of mental distress mental ill health um it will resonate with them um and I've, I've got a couple of bits that I want to pull out but can you describe to us kind of what happened yeah sure yeah, yeah. so yeah in a bit of a nutshell um I went to boarding school, weekly boarding at Napier Boys, and I arrived with that mindset I talked about earlier of trying to be successful um, and that whole no pain, no gain, Mm. work hard, do what I can to build myself this platform for a really successful adulthood, I suppose. And with that, I started doing everything, whether it was sport or academics or anything that came my way at school, I'd just try my absolute best. And through that, I ended up making it into this middle distance running team at um, at Napier Boys and didn't like running at all. It was never a sport I enjoyed, um, like a lot of people, but because I was so focused on success, I just latched onto it and started trying really, really hard, training uh, to the best 
of my ability. Um, and through that, I started losing weight. Um, I wasn't restricting food at this point. I was just training and exercising more than I um, ever had before and wasn't eating enough, essentially, without realisation. Um, and then I started getting better at running, obviously, because I was training. And from there, I started associating running fast with losing weight and getting skinnier. Uh, so from that point, those two things became linked in my mind. And um, and I started trying to lose more weight because I thought it would make me run faster. Um, and that's obviously the start of a pretty dangerous downward spiral. So from then on, I yeah slowly lost more and more weight, got more and more sick, more obsessed with exercise, started restricting food. And from that point, um, yeah, my physical health started deteriorating to the point where I had to pull out of school, um, go to hospital, get fed through a tube for quite a while. And then eventually, once the physical health was sorted out, go down to Wellington in a psych ward um, for another three months. Um, gradually down there, managed to turn things around. And the second half of the book is really, really the recovery. So from the point I was in the psych ward through to where I am today. And I learned a lot of lessons, um, turning things around about life and happiness and uh, what it's all about. And yeah, the second half of the book really just is um, how I how I got through to where I am now after um, after being stuck in quite a quite a scary rut for quite mm. a while. Yeah, I have so many questions. I'm struggling to get them in order. <laughs> so <laughs> as soon as you've just mentioned the site ward down in Wellington, mm. um, I mean I've been to places like that. My brother is a psychiatric nurse, right? Yeah. So um, I've been to the one in. Hastings, you know, and I see that it's not a terribly scary place. But as 12, 13, were you 13 when you went? I would have been 14 by that point. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. still a really, really young kid. Mm. How was that? Yeah, it was uh, It was definitely not any place a 14-year-old kid should be. Mm. I, it was an adolescent ward, so um, I, was, I was easily the youngest by a couple of years, but there were... Um, there were people up to 18 mm. in there as well. Um, but no, I saw a lot of things that uh, no parent would want their child to see. Yeah. Um, and that's just the nature of mental illness. Um, the lows that the human mind can go to are just um, beyond what most people can comprehend. Mm. And having to witness all of that on a daily basis is, is horrible. But then again... Um, all the right professionals are there to help you get through. And for me, where I was, that was the best place for me. Um, and as tough as it was, it was it was where I needed to be. And the fact that it was so isolating, I was down there away from family and friends and everyone, meant that I had such strong motivation to get out of there, to get home and to get my life back. Mm. So um, it was... Yeah, it was just the perfect place for me at the time. Um, and although I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, mm. it was vital for my recovery. Mm. And apart from actually recovering from your your own illness, the things that you saw, have you taken life lessons from that, from the people that you were living with? Yeah, so yeah. that was a big um, part of the reason why I say I'm lucky, was seeing the other um, patients in there. 
and you know my parents would come down from Hawke's Bay all the way to Wellington once a week or twice a week mm. to visit me take time off work um, whereas other people would go months um, with no contact at all so I really I really was so fortunate compared to everyone else there um, I'd get cards every day letters um, and yeah comparing my lot to theirs I suppose just made me realize how lucky I am and um, now that I'm all through it um, not only am I happy and healthy so I'm lucky in that way but to to know that I've got the support network there um, that other people don't is yeah it's it's really sad but um, I'm pleased that I did learn mm. just how lucky I am a real eye-opener I would imagine yes and very quite essential especially for such a young man mm. in that development of empathy mm. for other people in their situations not to take away from your own which is absolutely bloody horrendous um, or it was you never blame anyone there is such gratitude in this book. You know, it would have been easy to find someone or some comment or something to hitch it on, but you don't do that. Yeah, well, I think no one, there's no one to blame because no one meant for any of what happened to me to happen. Yeah. There are people that you could say um, led to me developing it and steps that people could have taken to avoid it, but at the end of the day no one wanted it to happen it was just a weird combination of unfortunate events that mm. led to this illness developing um and a big turning point for me and it's a it's a chapter in the book is fl- flicking the switch mm. um finding the switch and flicking it and for me that was realizing that the only person to blame is anorexia this illness so um once i realized that I could dedicate all of my efforts into fighting this illness, no one else but this illness um, that somehow got in my in my mind. So um, mm. I do blame anorexia, but I, yeah, there's no point blaming anyone else about that. Mm. And it's anorexia there with a the capital A, you've named it. You've yes, taken yeah. it out of your brain and, and personified it, haven't you? Yeah, and yeah. that's that's a key thing for beating it is uh, differentiating myself from it, which sounds really weird and it's hard to understand. But until I could do that, I could, until I could differentiate my uh, what were my thoughts, uh, happy, healthy thoughts, um, from anorexic thoughts, which are you know don't eat, um, exercise. Um, until I could do that, I was really fighting myself Mm. so from um once I could differentiate myself from it then I had something to fight back against Mm. and that was absolutely vital to recover yeah and some really distressing parts of the of the book as well and I'm thinking something that stood out for me was where you all you eat one day and it takes you a long time is is one grape Mm. Yeah. yeah and another part where you're at school and your body won't let you not move, not exercise. So you end up doing like hover squats over your chair in yeah. class because we make kids sit in the classroom all day. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, yeah, I can only imagine that you'd be climbing the walls. Yes. Yeah, yeah no, it was horrible. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm quite confident in saying I'll never have days as bad as I've had already. Um, mm. But yeah, it's, it's, I suppose it just shows how bad things can get. Um, I thought things were bad when I had to leave school, but the few weeks that followed that um, were, yeah, they were horrible. They were like a living nightmare. Mm. And um, 
and I wouldn't wish that on anyone but um, having gone to such dark places I just appreciate life uh, so much more like just a normal day waking up and realizing that I can do what I want with my day I don't Mm. have to spend the day um, trying to sneak an exercise or burn off a grape that I ate the day before it's um yeah it's bliss (laughs) yeah Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that (laughs) yeah um something that really struck me was the language that we use as well and I think one word that came up was um quitting you know if you allow yourself to quit it's got such negative connotations and there's another passage that I thought really um illustrated this as well that people started to notice that you were getting thin and at the start of the year, my hostel mates told me how ripped and shredded I looked. Compliments, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, each time I got out of the shower. But as the months went by, the words skinny and bony became increasingly common. Part of me got a kick out of this because it reduced the pressure to be skinny I was so used to feeling. Still, I knew these comments weren't intended as compliments. If anything, they were words of warning, which is another positive spin that you've put on it. They were warning me. But also, do you think that we need to look, particularly as adults, um, at the language that we're using with kids, you know, high school is a, is a pressure cooker. Yeah. 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 Um, I, oh, for sure. I think, um, especially, uh, for guys, there's a lot of, um, a lot of people think being, you know, really ripped and really low body fat is, is a good thing, but sometimes it's not healthy. Mm. Um, and when you're a young, any kid, boy or girl, and you're growing taller, um, you need to be eating so much more yeah um just to to keep the weight on so um yeah i think it is in society there is a quite a big focus on the way we look and things like that and um maybe it's yeah not really necessary mm. um especially at such a vulnerable time um of adolescence so yeah yeah i definitely think that's a work that's a work on yeah yeah absolutely because mm. what's it for you know kids get mm. get ripped fine why why <laughs> you know yeah yeah you, you know you, I, I once read read something about you know if you've got abs if you've got the six pack so it's no purpose at all mm, you yeah. know it's just an appearance thing oh, exactly. does it make you stronger or faster or anyway exactly and the um yeah the body i had was definitely not making me better at any kind of sport i was getting slower the the skinnier i got so um mm. yeah it's Definitely not a fair reflection of performance. Mm, mm. Absolutely, especially when you know you you had the, a hankering to be an All Black. You were a good good rugby player, and you need to be big. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I and needed we, to be moving in the other direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which you did afterwards, and took quite a bit of uh, yes pleasure in kicking the ass out of anorexia, which was a wonderful passage. Yes, me. yeah, that was um, yeah, that was cool really that I got to the point where I could just put on weight for the sake of it Mm. um purely to prove to myself that I could yeah Yeah, liberating yeah awesome yeah Yeah, it's awesome and it's the mind that needs liberating isn't it and Mm. I actually wrote to myself that you have written in here one of the the best descriptions of a mind turning on itself that I've ever read and I have read quite a bit around (laughs) this subject um and I, I shall read it more than anything else I felt trapped inside a mind that was no longer mine it was like my consciousness was suffocating with no room to move, surrounded at all angles by heavy pressure that impinged every thought. With no means of escape, all I could do was exist and be hammered by anorexia's merciless darkness. And I thought that described that dark feeling so well. 
um, that I actually made a little note. I said, this is why distressed people rock. <laughs> you know, because you are trying to physically escape something that you can't escape because it's inside you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's very liberating to be able to put uh, those feelings into words, um, but it wasn't an easy process, um, and it took a lot of time. But, yeah, I, I do think it's therapeutic in a way to to describe those feelings um and yeah very pleased to hear that it got through it resonated Mm. yeah Mm. yeah very much um so the book itself i mean it's it's i've I've mentioned how um well written it is and how easy to read but the writing process what was that like for you yeah so i started it in 2021 the lockdown um there where i couldn't work um so i thought that there was no bit of time to give it a crack um and started and um got hooked and yeah really enjoyed the process Mm. some days were harder than others um but I pretty much treated it like a job and yeah sat down at a little desk I made probably six or seven days a week just because I found it was easier to keep my flow going Mm. and it took me about eight months to write and then obviously lots of editing and and um touching up from there Mm. but yeah the process was relatively simple it was just sit down and try to remember what happened and then from there piece together what led to what um try to uh put it in a way that makes sense to other people yeah um because it made sense to me but a lot of the time with mental illness it makes no sense to anyone else Mm. um our minds trick us into thinking it's rational and that it makes sense so the biggest challenge was trying to write it in a way that seemed logical in a very illogical way Mm. (laughs) yeah and just tell us quickly we're nearly out of time um the cover it's incredible yes yeah so my uh one of my mates zonny he he went to school with me he um he did that himself um so his him and his mate jussie who's also from napier came and took a photo and um they managed to come up with that which yeah i was pretty stoked with um Mm. yeah very talented individual and um pretty cool that there's yeah another hawks bay link there to the to the cover so the whole process was was from yeah hawks bay and you look because it's a photo a digitized photo of you and they've tinkered and made it psychedelic maybe i don't know (laughs) um but you look serene and happy yeah yeah and i think going into the book it's good to know Mm. that there's this happy healthy young man now Mm. So thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, just finally then, so I think anyone that's listened to this will want to know, how are you now? Yeah, I'm better than ever. Um, I I mentioned in the book, probably around 2016, I um, considered myself recovered. Uh, but since then, it's just been, life's just got better and better. Um, and one of my big goals in life is to never settle and to always try to be happier. So um, the goal this year is that, again, to, to make this year the happiest yet. Mm. So that's always going to be a goal of mine, and um, and I know it won't always be perfect in life, but um, as long as I have the intent to, to be happier, um, mm. that's, that's all any of us can do. So. And you allow yourself those moments to fail? Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, that's... Yeah, that's how you learn, and I, uh, yeah, success for me is not something 
it's not a priority it's happiness and if there is success or achievement or anything that comes as a consequence of being happy not the other way around Mm. Mm. good words wise words from such (laughs) a young man who's been through so much congratulations harry on the book it's um very special and i would just encourage everybody to read it thanks for being with us today really appreciate your time thank you thanks for having me This programme was produced by and first broadcast on Radio Hawke's Bay, your community access media station. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this type of programming possible.